Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. I want to go back a few years. I'm a, I'm a storyteller at heart. Um, Jesus was too. Uh, that's his style of teaching. So this is when we were still in the jungle a number of years ago. And we'd gone out from our village, gotten on the float plane, went to another location in the swampland. And as we're out at this other location, uh, a sickness came into our village. A sickness that our people had never, ever encountered. Cholera. That produces vomiting and diarrhea. You can lose all your body fluids in 24 hours and die. And it came up our river from the mouth of the river, hitting every village, and then our main village. And in three weeks, a hundred people died. A hundred people that we know. Uh, our kids play with their kids. Some of our church leaders were involved in this. And we were out when this was happening. We could not get back in because the float plane was uh, in need of repairs. So we had to wait for it to get fixed. Finally, we got back three weeks later. Came into our village. It's totally empty. Everybody had run to the jungle out of fear of this sickness. We went across the river to the burial area to see the graves of the people that died. We went around viewing the graves, and, and we cried. Because, you know, Christians can cry. We cry not like the world. We cry with hope. And so we felt lost. And the, but it made me start thinking, uh, when I die, when I leave this earth, what do I want put on my grave? You know, we have things that are called tombstones in the Western world, uh, that you write your name, uh, someone writes your name and your date of birth, date of dying, and maybe a sentence about your life, what you were known for. He was a good father. He was a faithful husband. Well, I've decided what I want written on my grave. And I'm gonna, I've even got this all planned out in Papua where I'm going to be buried because I know I'm going to die in Papua. And so it's going to say, this is Jim Yost. He didn't play it safe. He didn't live life carefully, because a lot of you young people, you know, from when you're small, you go out of the house, and you want to cross the street, what do your parents say? Oh, be careful crossing the street. You're now in school, and what do they say? Be careful picking a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and then you're going to college. Be careful picking a career. Don't make a wrong choice. We're always told, be careful, be careful, be careful. I want to be somebody who's not careful, who lives life uncarefully. Uh, that wants to abandon the, all this focus on me, get rid of it, and focus on the, the purposes of God in my life. I wanna, don't want to miss one thing that God has in store for me. Because there's a generation today around the world that is lacking heroes. Those role models that, hey, I want to be like that. One of, my, one of the younger, younger role models today is Malala in Pakistan. But there's not a whole lot. And one of my, my heroes is Caleb. And so I just want to read a few verses from Numbers chapter 13. And so we get a picture of who this character is, Caleb. He's one of 12 people that are sent out to spy, spy the promised land. And so these 12 spies go in and they see the land that God's promised and they come back to 
the Israelites, and they give a report. Verse 26 of chapter 13. They came back to Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in the desert in Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it really does flow with milk and honey. How about that? God wasn't fooling. And here's some of its fruit. But the people who lived there, but, it's great, but. The people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified, very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live along the sea and along the Jordan. Then, my hero, <laughs> Caleb silences the people before Moses, and he speaks up. He says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the other men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Enoch there. Uh, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and the same we felt ourselves. Okay, catch this. There are 12 people that go into this place, and they see the same thing. Ten of them see with the eyes of CNN. <laughs> Two of them see with the eyes of God. They see the same fact same facts, but two of them see with the eyes of God. And ten of them then, with that evil report, turned all of the Israelite community into cowards that don't go in and do what God's told them to do, and for a generation they roam around in the, in the desert. Caleb and Joshua, in fact, the next day, Caleb tears his clothing and he cries out, don't rebel against the Lord. But no one listens. Today, mission is at a Jordan River, where if we cross over, we can go into a new promised land. Something has changed in the world of missions, guys. And it's no longer a thing for specialized peoples, for everybody. Have Jesus, have mission. And it's changing. But it's going to take a generation of Caleb's and Joshua's that have a different spirit, like Numbers 14, 24, the Lord says, this is Caleb, my servant Caleb. He has a different spirit, and he follows me wholeheartedly. We need a generation of Caleb's because mission is not just going to slightly disrupt my life. It's going to dramatically upset my life. And I want to give God permission to drastically upset my life. Mission is changing it's because it's end times harvest. We're at a place in history where for the first time, before you guys leave this earth, every tribe, every tongue, every nation can hear. Jesus can come back. It can happen. Physically, it's possible to happen. But it's not going to happen with business as usual. Something has to dramatically change. Because we're not getting the job done. Where are the Caleb's? Where are the risk takers? If I, if I started a church in, in, in America, I think, you know what I'd call the name of it? I'd call it the Too Fast, Too Furious Christian Church. 
Because we need a lot of people with that kind of attitude. Hey, we've got a, a limited amount of time. We're going to do it with everything we've got. I have a shirt I wear on the airplane. I, didn't, I should have worn it at the church today. It says, life is too short. And I wear that on the airplane. It kind of disturbs people. <laughs> and I live in a part of the world where people take bombs on airplanes. And so uh, people always see that shirt. Hey, why are you wearing that shirt? And I say, why do people think time, uh, life is too short? Because at the end of their life, they have regrets, things they wish they'd done. And I want to be that person that has no regrets at the end of my life. Every single thing that God's told me to do, I've done it with everything I've got. That's the kind of scale of spirit that's going for it with everything you got. But I, there's a few things where I just want to bring out of this passage and, and, and show it with examples from my own life. Can't talk about anybody else, but just my own life. But Caleb, the Caleb's in the world that we need, they're going to be doing this crazy stuff, not because it's popular, but because they've heard from God. The Caleb's go into the promised land. They do crazy things because they hear from God. You know, the Israel, back in Deuteronomy chapter 1, 19 through 21, we read that the Israelites already had a promise. This is the promised land. Go in and do it. Take it. But they had to send 12 spies in to check it out. No, they didn't have to send them in. It's because they didn't believe. They wanted to go check. Is God's promises real or is he kind of fooling us? I know this is a church that really believes in hearing from God. But guys, sometimes we hear from God and we're, we're confused. Is that really God or is that just me? And so we go to somebody else in our cell group. Here, here's what I think I'm hearing from God. Is that really God? Yeah, that's God. You better do it. Oh, I need more confirmation. Go to another cell leader. Is this God or is this me? Oh, that's God. You better do it. Oh, I'll go to my senior pastor. <laughs> is this God or is this me? That's God. You better do it. Oh, I'll go check in another church. We keep wanting reconfirmation and reconfirmation. Where are the people that are going to hear from God and obediently, obey immediately? Going to do it right now. Hearing from God, that's so, it's risk takers don't wait for reconfirmation all the time. In fact, when I wanted to be a missionary, I'm up front with a whole bunch of other young people. We've all just gotten saved out of the hippie movement in California in the late 60s, early 70s, what's called the Jesus People Movement. And we're all up here saying we want to be missionaries. But how many are on the mission field today? One, me. What happened to the others? Well, they said, yeah, I, I want to be a mission. I want to go do that mission stuff. But, you know, I'm only single. I'm just half a human being. I got to get a spouse first. Okay, get a wife, get a husband. Okay, now I got to get a child, get a child. Oh, he needs a playmate. Get another child, get another child. Never go. There's always something holding back. Oh, I don't have enough education. I got to get another degree and another degree and never go. Or I've got to get more experience. I've got to be a cell leader. I've got to be a sector a section leader. I've got to be a junior pastor. I've got to be a senior pastor and never go. Hear from God and obey. Because who are the people that God talks to? You know, I have three daughters born and raised in the jungle. We kept them with us, homeschooled them so they'd be part of our team. Uh, now, if I have one, my, one of my daughters, Megan, I say, Megan, would you bring dad the newspaper? I want to read it. She doesn't bring it. I may say again, Megan, would you please bring the newspaper? She doesn't bring it. What am I going to do? I'm going to find another daughter that wants to obey. Amy, would you bring dad the newspaper? I'm going to look for some daughter that wants to obey. I think God's the same way. He wants to speak to us more than we're ready to hear. 
And when he speaks, he looks for those who obey. And he'll keep on talking and keep on talking. Lots of young people come to me and say, Jim, how can I hear God? I say, start doing what he's already told you to do, and you'll hear more from him. He talks to those that he knows are going to do the stuff. And I'm someone who really believes in hearing from God calling, that mystical term calling. I really believe in a calling. I've helped missionaries come to the field, and I ask them always, what's the, what's the reason for being here? Some say, well, I want to pay back my debt to God. I'm just so thankful I, my sins are forgiven. That's nice. Those people last two or three years and then pack it in. Others come say, I'm come because of the need. There's a big need. I want to come fill a need. That's nice. They last two or three years and then pack it in. But there's those who come and they say, I've heard from God. I know that I know that I know God wants me here. And those people last even through the hardest times. Calling. I got, a, I believe, I got a calling when I was at your guy's age. I was sensing, I was hearing about these missionaries, and I thought, is that for other people or for me? I want to check it out. I want to go on a mission trip. Now, this is like 45 years ago. Mission trips weren't popular then. I talked to people today about mission trips. Have you been on a mission trip? Yeah, Jim, I've been on 10 mission trips. What's taking you so long? Because a mission trip is not about what you're going to go do for somebody else in another place. It's what God's going to do in your life while you're there. It's a meeting with God, taking myself out of my comfortable zone, going to some place that's hard in order to get along with God. And so I said, God, I'm going to go to Japan and Korea for three months, and I want to hear from you. I want to know, is this, from, is this mission thing for me or for other people? I'm not coming back until I hear from you. And in Korea, it was great getting up at 5 a.m. and praying with the Korean Christians. If you've never prayed with a Korean, go find one and pray with them. They got this great anointing for intercessory prayer. But I didn't hear God speak to me in Korea. It was in Japan, a hard country, not a lot of believers. I was in Kyoto, which is the height of idol worship in Japan, in a youth hostel, on the top bunk bed one night, praying to God, never could not go to sleep, just wrestling with God, being honest, saying, God, I don't like being in a foreign country. I don't like not knowing the language. I don't like not knowing the customs. I don't like not knowing the food I'm eating. I can't be a missionary. And God came back to me and he said, that's right, Jim, you can't be a missionary, but I can make you a missionary. And I realized that night, this mission stuff had nothing to do with my likes or dislikes, had nothing to do with my abilities or inabilities, had everything to do with being obedient to God. And I knew I'd leave America and never come back. Met my wife. My wife is the real American, Indian, American Indian, from a family that no believers, she's the only one. But she had a mission call. We met. We said, hey, let's do this together. We got married, immediately left because we'd heard from God. Some of you are going to be redirected. And this year, maybe next year, you think you're on the right, right road right now, but when God comes in and intervenes and opens a new door, run through it as fast as you can. It's okay to make mistakes. You know, in, in our churches across Indonesia right now, we, have a, we do a, 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 what do you call it, a... Uh, Oath, a promise together. We all stand up and we say, it's okay to fail. In our church, we encourage failure. Because the fastest companies in the world, in the, in the business world, the fastest growing companies are those that encourage failure at a fast rate. Because with every failure, you get a new product. 
Only in the church do we not encourage failure. I encourage failure. I say, guys, try crazy things. Try entrepreneurial things. If it fails, that's okay. Get back up and try again. That was the key of the Jesus people movement. We were all just all long-haired hippies, just come to faith. There was only one mature Christian, Chuck Smith. I was put into leadership two weeks after coming to Jesus because there are no leaders. There are no, no, Chuck Smith is the only mature believer. And sure, we're all falling all over the place, but he'd pick you back up and say, try again because he had a father's heart. There's no movements without fathering and mothering. It's okay to fail. Go and try crazy things, entrepreneurial things that nobody else. That's, the, that's what my wife and I have had as our theme from the first day to the day. We want to do those things that nobody else wants to do or can do. If somebody else can do it, let them do it. We want to do those things that nobody else wants to. So you're going to have that spirit that Caleb's going to want to do this entrepreneurial stuff. And a wise leader will release these people and say, I'm holding your back. I'll take all the criticism. You go do something crazy for God. You know 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Paul says, sometimes people think I'm out of my mind because the love of Christ controls me. I hope this is a church that people think you're out of your mind, and that's okay. The Caleb's and the Joshua's, they get what they don't bargain for. When you step out in faith, you have no idea where it's taking you. I have a lot of young people that come to me and say, Jim, I really want to know God's will. I want to know it from now until the very end. I want to see it all mapped out. I'm sorry, God doesn't show it all to you, because he knows if you saw it all, you'd have a heart attack and die on the spot. You can't take it. So in his graciousness, he only gives a little bit of light, and you take one step, a little bit more light, another step, a little bit more light. It's called walking by faith. That's what this whole life is about. It's an amazing race where we're going from one clue to the next, and it never stops your whole life. You get more than you bargain for. Like we went to the jungle. We wanted to go to the most primitive people on the face of the earth. We went, got dropped in the middle of the jungle in a float plane, landing on a river. People coming out of their huts to see this bird coming out of the sky. And we were taken in into this village and had a big feast the first day. They had these big mounds of food, food I'd never seen before, food I didn't know you could eat. There's one pile that's still moving. One little boy comes by and chugs one down and runs off. This is our first day of being introduced to their favorite food, rhinoceros beetle larva, grub worms the size of your thumb. So we just close our eyes, imagine ice cream, and so we put them in our mouth. But we felt, hey, this is great. They're having a feast in our honor. Little did we know what this feast was for. Till all the food is consumed, one man stood up, raised his voice loudly. A thousand people came, raised, rose to their feet. Half of them ran that way, half of them ran that way. The sky filled with arrows going back and forth as a tribal war broke out the first day we arrived. Because unknowns to us, there were two rival clan groups in this tribe, and they'd had a, killings gone on in the past, and today they wanted to have a, a revenge war. But before they fight, they have to eat together. So we got involved in this, <laughs> and all of a sudden these arrows are going past us, right and left. What do you do? You say, well, I didn't have that in my missionary training. <laughs> it was like God put a bubble of protection on our hearts so the spirit of fear could not get in. And I said to my wife, you go that way, I'll go this way. Let's just try to stop as many people from killing each other as we can. 
running out into the war, tackling people, breaking the arrows, whatever we could do. But we're just two people. They're a thousand plus, and they keep going all day long. But that was the introduction, the first day. I guarantee if you have a Caleb spirit and want to do entrepreneurial things, you will get more than you bargained for. And you better be ready for it. God will show up when things are out of your control. He'll show up when, you, when there's no human reason why you can succeed. We took Philippians chapter 2 literally that Jesus coming to earth showed us how to be missionaries or how to live this gospel missional on life. So he came, became like the people they wanted to minister to, became their servant, died on the cross for them. We got to do the same thing. So we tried to be as much as we could like these tribal people. We made a decision not to have children for five years so we could be nomadic, going through the jungle, living anywhere, eating anything. My wife would go foraging for food in the jungle with the women. I'd go hunting wild boar in the jungle with the men. And this way, we put the puzzle of this language together. After a year, we're pretty fluent in this language. The tribal leader calls us to his house one day. We're sitting around the fire eating. He says, we've watched you this year, and we see your skin color is different than ours, but you're hawach maidap with us. Hawach maidap means one stomach, because the stomach is the seat of emotion. It's a term of endearment. And what he meant was, on the outside, you're different. Inside, you're just like us. Because the evangelist has to be accepted before his message gets accepted. And they started liking us, but they didn't accept our message immediately. We go into the second year, the third year, preaching and teaching about Jesus. No one's accepting. We're doing some Bible translation. They're understanding the gospel, but no one's accepting. And we get village shaman or, or witch doctors that put out a threat. If anybody accepts this, this word from the outside, we'll kill them with sorcery. You could feel the spirit of fear holding people down in our village. And one day in frustration, I cried out, God, I can't convince these people anymore about who Jesus is. Please come and open their eyes in some way that I cannot do. And God came in a way I would have never imagined. Happened on a hot day in the jungle. The sun was in the noon sky. From our hut, we heard the death wail, the crying for the dead. We knew somebody died. I ran out, jumped to the ground, because our, our house is two meters up off the ground on round poles, bark floor, thatched roof. I jumped to the ground, ran the direction. I heard the crying. Half an hour en route till I came out at the riverbank. There's a thousand people. Women are already throwing themselves in the mud the way they mourn the death of someone. The men are all out in the shallow water looking for something. I asked the guy next to me, what happened? He said, Jim, early morning, a young family got in their canoe, went off to the jungle to forage for food. When they came back, they beached their canoe, took their packs of food up to their hut. They left their little one-year-old son in the canoe to wait for them. When they came back to get him, he wasn't there. He tried to stand up in the river and had fallen over into the river. They looked for him for a half hour, could not find him, because the water in our river is inky black in color because of algae that grows in it. You put your hand a few inches under the surface, it disappears. So they looked for him for half an hour. Finally, one man comes up out of the water with the body of this boy in his arms. The stomach is swollen from inner water inhalation. He's not breathing. He's dead. They bring the body up on high ground. They start mourning berserk. My wife comes on the scene because she knows the technique of mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. She kneels down and tries to revive this little boy. For five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes, for 25 minutes, she kept working. Finally, she stopped, realizing he's been in the water too long. He's really dead. She starts to pray. I'm over here. I stand up and say a prayer that I've never said in my life up to that day. I never even thought of. Because 
there's a gift of faith that God gives. It's not a faith that we possess. It's a faith that God imparts at a point in time when he wants to do something. And spontaneously, I started praying, God, even though these people don't acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior, as a sign of your love and mercy, allow this little boy to live again. All of a sudden, out of the mouth of that little boy came spewing all the water at one time. He started breathing big. His eyes opened. He was alive again. His parents grabbed him up. Everybody, been sh- everybody, a thousand people shouting. Finally, I quieted him down. I said, what you've just seen today, this isn't anything that I did or my wife did. This is the God we've come to tell you about. It's a sign of his love. One week after that, we were invited to one village to preach and teach about the way of salvation. Morning till night, every day for a whole week. At the end of that week, the first people started believing on Jesus. Not one, two, three, but 10, 20, 30. Whole family groups. Every week, wave after wave, till 80% of this tribe now are born-again believers. If you want to be a Caleb, I guarantee God will take you into things that you never imagined. You got to be ready for it because he does it his way. And there's a price to pay. You have to up the ante, up the level of sacrifice. I really believe movements are about, are happening everywhere in the world. This week I'm getting together with people from Africa, from India. We verify movements. There's 640 movements in the world today. Most are in China, India, Africa, some in Indonesia, happening everywhere. I believe if it's happening in one place, God wants it to happen everywhere. He doesn't pick favorites. But the problem is, are we willing? We will not see a movement unless our level of sacrifice is upped. We become too satisfied with where we're at. Still remember, maybe about four years ago, in the Baylor Convention, uh, Baylor Sports Arena, I was speaking at World Mandate, and I sat down, and one of the gals' leaders got up, and she said something that rocked me. She said, we in the younger generation want to change the world, but we don't know how to do it. We don't have the work ethic to make it happen. When I heard that that night, it was a surprise to me to realize in the West there's a generation that has not been taught how to sacrifice. And the problem isn't your generation, it's the older generation, your parents, my generation, that did not model sacrifice for our kids. When my first daughter, Amy, came stateside for, for college, she, she was born, grown, grown up in the jungle. She's a black girl with white skin. Her first language is the tribal language, her second language is Indonesian, her third language is English. She helped mom with medical clinic, and at age 12, she's delivering babies, suturing wounds from the tribal wars at age 12. So she gravitated to medical training in America so she'd get the theory to match the practice she already knew how to do. So she went to Portland, Oregon, the university. And she would cry over the internet. You know you can cry over the internet? She'd cry over the internet, Mom, Dad, I don't like America. And I would write back like a good dad, Oh, honey, we're on your side. We're praying. But on my face, I'm smiling. Thank you, God. My daughter's going to the valley, and she's going to come out the other side stronger. Because I want her to learn to fight, to learn how to pay a price to change the future. And around the world, I'm hearing young people say, even though our parents didn't model it for us, we want to learn how to pay a price. When I got to the jungle, I got malaria the first month. We're in the middle of, the, of a swampland, lots of mosquitoes, the worst malaria in the entire world. 
impervious to all known medicines. I get malaria, be evacuated out by the float plane, get better, come back, get malaria again. Every month, one year, two years, three years, all the time, malaria. I ask God, do I have a calling to be sick? There was a church in America that prayed for us 24 hours a day, every single day of the week. Still sick. Because I didn't have a theology of suffering as a North American. I had to learn that in the jungle. When one day after this movement had happened, a few years went by, and one day I was in the hut with, around the fire cooking food with men, and they said, Jim, do you remember in those early days while you were, when you were sick all the time? Yeah, I remember. Can't forget. We'd see you get sick, be flown out. We thought, he'll never come back. But you came back. Got sick, flown out. We thought, he'll never come back. But you came back. That began to say to us, you had something so important. We better listen to this. Do you catch this? God will use suffering in my life as preparation for the gospel in their lives. And guys, if I can be sick so that a tribe can come to Jesus, why not? This life is not about my enjoyment. It's about fulfilling God's purposes in the short time I have here. Now, it's one thing when, our, when we're sick. It's another thing when our kids get sick. We want to take their suffering unto us. I have three daughters raised in the jungle. They got malaria hundreds of times. Two of them almost died from malaria in a coma, unconscious for a week, no plane able to take them out. We're just dousing them with cold water and praying over them, hoping they can get through the fevers, wondering if this is the time that God's going to take them. And in the end, just through prayer, God gave them back to us. But it was hard. I had missionary colleagues criticizing me, saying, Jim, you're irresponsible. That's too dangerous a place. You need to go back to America. And I struggled till one day in prayer. I said, God, I'm doing, I believe your call is still on our life to be here. And I'm doing everything in my power to be a responsible husband and father to my family. I have to trust you to make up for my lack. And that day I got peace that passes all understanding. I knew God would always make up for my lack. And my, and today my kids are so thankful they grew up in the jungle. They wouldn't have traded that life for anything. They feel they're the richest kids in the world, and they're all serving God in different fields. Up the ante of sacrifice, willing to pay a price. Lastly, Caleb's and Joshua's, every, when you start doing this crazy stuff, God's going to remove all confidence in human models. When we think we've got it all mapped out how God, God has to work, for sure he's going to do it a different way. And sometimes I go places and they say, Jim, would you show us how to make a movement? And I say, no human being can make a movement. Only God can do a movement. But when God's on the move, we can sure get in the way. And I try to train people how to get out of the way and let God be God. And it's going to happen in ways, you know, I thank God that my eyes have seen a movement. I thank God my eyes have seen a revival. We have lots of books about revival. We study it. We hear about it. We experience it in the middle of the jungle. This was a number of years after the first movement had happened. And some of our people had grown, grown cold in their love. Some had gone back to old ways. But then every December, they would celebrate Jesus' birth by going hut to hut, village to village, telling the Christmas story one more time to everybody. Make sure everybody's heard about Jesus. And then after this month of December, in the first week of January, it happened. We came into a service, about 800 people. Women were sitting over here, men sitting over here in, in our village church. And as the singing was happening, 
We don't, we don't have a live band like this, but they sing cultural songs with scripture, basically. And they were singing, I thought, wow, the heart, I looked at my wife, she's over here, she looked at me with, wow, something's happening today. And then there was testimony time, because they were singing more fervently than before. I didn't understand what was happening. Then there were some testimonies, and one young man stood up and said, yeah, I was in the jungle this week, and I stepped on a death adder snake, and it didn't bite me, praise God. Another couple, yeah, our child got malaria, was almost to die, and the elders prayed, and now he's healed. Praise God. There's all these testimonies of God doing great stuff. I'm looking at my wife. She's looking at me. Something's happening today. One of the elders came forward, gave a message, just a very common message from Scripture. Didn't make any plea or any invitation, sat down. And then all of a sudden, one young man, his name was Onabiap, about 20-year-old young guy, came walking forward. Everybody's looking. Why is he coming forward? He comes up forward, turns around, faces everybody. This week I was out in the jungle, far from here and in a faraway village, and I got in a fight with another guy. Nobody here saw what I did, but God saw what I did, and I have to confess this sin. And he starts confessing his sin, weeping. The elders come around him, lay their hands on him, pray for his restoration. Then another one came forward. Then another one. Then another one. One hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. We started at eight in the morning. We didn't get out till five in the afternoon. The next day, they blew the bamboo horn that usually is blown for war. They blew it and they said, come to church. We came morning till night, confession of sin. Every single day, one month, two months, three months, every day. They've never heard of Pensacola or of Toronto or of Argent, uh, Chile or Argentina, any, any of these revivals. This is God came and visited our people with a wave of revival that was so incredible. Changed the church forever. If you put yourself in a place where God has to show up, he will show up. I'm going to close with my, my favorite person in our village, Sohoro, was my first disciple. He came to faith in the first wave. He was a real evangelist. He immediately went village to village, hut to hut, getting in people's houses, telling them about Jesus. He would say, Jim, we finished off this village for Jesus. <laughs> he was my translation helper. Whenever I would meet a verse that I could not translate, I'd always ask Sohoro, please help me. And I was struggling with John 14. In my father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare one for you. How do you explain to these tribal people what God's house in the sky is like? Is it a five-star hotel with gold plating? Because their houses are so simple. There's no rooms. It's 30 people in a bark floor, thatch roof place. The only distinguishing feature is the fireplace. They take mud from the river, and they make a, a, a foundation that dries, and then they put their fires there, and they have a rack of wood that dries above the fireplace. And at nighttime, a mama, dad, and the children will sleep around this fireplace. In this corner of the house is another fireplace, another family. This corner, another fireplace, another family. This corner, another fireplace, another family. About 30 people living in the same house. So how do you describe God's house? I asked Sohoro, and he said, Jim, I bet in God's house in the sky, there are lots of fireplaces, enough for all the believers from all generations. And I said, that's probably true. So that's how we translate it. In my father's house are many fireplaces, and I'm going to prepare one for you. A few months after this, Sohoro asked us to come to his house to eat with him and his family. We went over there, and we're eating with them, and then he got really quiet 
at the end, wanted to ask us something. And he said, Jim, you know, on this earth, we've done ministry together, your family and my family. We've finished off this place for Jesus. I want to ask, later on, when we get to heaven, would you and your family share our fireplace in heaven? And with tears coming down our face, we said, Sohoro, we would love to share your fireplace in heaven. About a month after that, Sohoro went out to the jungle to gather food. He didn't come back for two days. His wife and children went out looking for him, and they found his body in the jungle. No wounds. He hadn't been attacked by a wild boar or a poisonous snake or by any human being. He was in great health, wasn't sick. They brought the body back when we had a service, and I preached, and I said, you know, nobody took Sohoro's life. He's kind of like Enoch. He was just so pleasing to God, God just ushered him up to heaven. And I imagine Sohoro's already in heaven now. He's stroking the fire, waiting for me to come be with him. On the last day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's going to be lots of fireplaces. You're going to meet these people. You're going to hear them. There's no language barrier in heaven. And why are you going to hear them? Why are you going to meet them? Because there were people who were risk takers. There are a lot of Caleb's and Joshua's that rose up and say, we don't want to just do it safe. We want to do something radically different for God in our generation. That's the plea today, guys. You're a younger church, and you can do entrepreneurial stuff that no other churches will never think of. The crazier, the better. And you've got leadership who are going to back you up the whole time. Let's pray. Let's all get comfortable. Rise up off your feet. Get comfortable with God to hear God speak to you. Father God, right now, we ask by your Spirit, touch our hearts with one thing from this morning. What's that one thing you're asking of us that you want us to obey? And we promise we will obey quickly. Give us the Caleb spirit that has a different spirit and follows you wholeheartedly. Come burn on us that Caleb spirit that sees things that nobody else sees, that hear things, hears things that nobody else hears. We want to run faster than we've ever run before. We want to see where you're opening a door and we want to run through it with you. We want to be about our Father's business. So right now, ask God to speak to you. What's he saying? And say, yes, Lord, I hear you. Caleb's spirit, burn on us from head to toe, from the outside to the inside, ready to make a radical commitment, doing things that nobody else is brave to do going places that nobody else is brave enough to go to. Yeah. Going into the promised land where the mission call is going to be fulfilled in your generation. I want to be there. I want to be by your side, Lord. Right now, speak to us. Yeah. Don't let this opportunity pass. What's he saying to you? What's he imparting on you? Imparting that Caleb spirit. Never the same. Can't just go along with the crowd. Can't wait for others. You're going to be the first one. The first initiator who's not afraid to fail. Who's going to move into the hardest places. Yeah. See your neighborhood changed because of your Caleb spirit. See your campus changed because you're not afraid to stand up for God. See your city transformed because you care so much to bring the kingdom of God to earth right now. Can't wait. It's got to be now. 
We want to thrive in the midst of chaos, Lord. We're not afraid of a world that's getting more chaotic. We want to be those who thrive in the midst of chaos. Give us that Caleb spirit right now. Yeah. Say yes to God. Tell him what you're hearing. Lord, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I promised you. Say it to him right now. Yeah. Sumo, everyone, from the front to the back, communicate with God. Tell him what you're hearing. What's that one thing you're hearing from him? Yeah. Yeah, so let's just, let's go ahead and respond to the Lord here. Um, got people at the front and just, it's probably good just what you're hearing right now to just share with somebody, get somebody to pray with you, take that step, be bold, put a stake in the ground today about whatever it is you're hearing to say, Lord, I want this to be more than just right now in this moment. I want to, I want to say yes in a way that, uh, just brings reality and response and refinement and clarity repentance just a wholehearted offering of ourselves so whatever that is for you just go ahead and respond to the Lord come, for, come forward get prayer and uh, let's, let's just spend a little time in His presence here responding to God in Jesus name